Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the gospel. We thank you that it is your power to save for everyone who believes. We thank you for the treasure of your word. Father, for each of us, please, um, whatever's going on for us in our own hearts, in our own lives, please, now by your spirit, please open your word to us. May we hear it and receive it with thanksgiving, and may you continue to shape our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, that is Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to be obedient to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Firstly, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Well, friends, do keep that passage open in front of you. We'll get to that in just a second. But before we do, I want you to imagine for a moment uh, that you're a member of a city in ancient Greece. Okay, a little bit of a uh, stretch for most of us, but just imagine you're a city, uh, a member of a city in ancient Greece. Uh, and your city is under attack. It's under attack by a foreign enemy. Uh, you've become aware of this, uh, and the king of your city has sent out their army to go and defeat the, uh, to fight against the enemy who is coming to attack you. Imagine that's the situation. You're in the city, and you're left waiting anxiously for news about the outcome of this battle that's going on out there somewhere. Uh, you're kind of anxiously waiting for news of who has won. Uh, if your army loses, you know you face certain slavery and probably death. Uh, so you're waiting. 
So imagine this, okay? Uh, perhaps you're on the wall of the city and you look out into the distance and you see someone running towards you and as they get closer you realise that it's one of your soldiers who's running towards you and they're yelling something. You can't quite make out what it is, but as they get closer and closer, you can start to hear what it is that this guy's yelling, what he's sort of shouting out to everyone as he comes. And there's this moment where you think, what, is this, what sort of news is he going to bring? Uh, but then you hear it. Uh, the guy running, runs towards you and he's yelling, we've won, we've won, we're free. And at that moment, can you imagine the whole kind of city would ripple with relief and joy. Uh, they'd be dancing in the streets, you know, you'd... Yeah, there'd be a whole lot of relief and joy. And what's really interesting, friends, why I tell that story, is that that guy running to the city with this great news uh, about this victory that, they, that, that their king had achieved, that guy uh, was announcing a gospel. He was announcing a gospel. He was a gospeler, uh, the same sort of word that we get our word an evangelist from. See, in the ancient world, the word gospel... Uh, it, it didn't have the kind of religious overtones that we know it to have now. It simply meant, it was a common word that just meant a great announcement. A great announcement. Uh, usually is of a great event, some great event that had happened, usually a military or political victory. And the gospel was this great public announcement about this victory, about something, that he, something wonderful that had been accomplished. Uh, and it was an announcement that brought joy. It was this great announcement that brought joy to everyone who heard it. Um, well, friends, over the coming months, as we've been saying, we're going to be reading this letter to the Romans in the New Testament. And what we're going to see in this letter is that it is all about a gospel. It is all about a gospel, a public announcement of an incredible great thing that has been accomplished, a great victory that has been won. Uh, we read right at the start, the very first word, if you've got your Bible there, that it's written by a guy called Paul. Uh, when Paul, uh, as you read um, uh, through the New Testament story, particularly in the book of Acts, if you're a note taker, Acts chapter 9 uh, is where we read about Paul. He himself had this great encounter with this gospel, this great sort of announcement. Uh, it had transformed his life it had changed him he went from someone who hated people who gave this gospel to its greatest announcer its greatest proclaimer uh, in acts 9 you read about how paul became a servant of jesus as he says in romans here how he became an apostle how he was called to be an apostle how he was set apart for this gospel but for the rest of this letter um Paul goes into great detail to set out what this, this gospel, this great announcement is. Uh, uh, he'll show how this gospel is so great, how this gospel isn't just an announcement for one sort of city, but it is an announcement for the whole world, how big it is, how the gospel reveals the whole world as it really is. Uh, and Paul's going to impress upon us that receiving this gospel Hearing it and receiving it and believing it leads to a totally transformed way of life. Um, but this passage that we've had read to us and you've probably got open in front of you, this passage is sort of Paul's introduction to the whole thing, uh, to this long 
um, introduction, this long exposition of the gospel. He, he's going to touch on a lot of things as we read through it, and we're not going to be able to go into detail into all of them, uh, but most of them are things that he gets, sort of comes back to as we read through the whole letter. Uh, so we're going to give a bit of a, uh, an overview here, but um, in this intro, though, he's going to outline the core of what he's going to go on to say. Uh, before we sort of jump into the passage, though, it is hard to, actually, it's hard to overestimate the significance of this letter uh, in, throughout history, actually, throughout church history, not just church history, but, um, but history itself. Um, about 300 years after it was written, a brilliant but troubled man named Aurelius was converted to faith. Uh, converted to faith in Christ through taking up and reading a passage from Romans. His other name that we know him better by is a guy called Augustine, uh, one of the most influential, brilliant church leaders in history and theologians. Fast forward from that, um, in the 16th century, a German monk named Martin Luther. Uh, Some of you will be familiar with Luther. Uh, It was through Luther's careful reading of this letter It was through his reading of it that the movement that we know as the Reformation uh, was was sparked through his reading of this letter. Luther's Reformation set in place a series of events that really did shape history ever since and shapes us in ways that we're um, often unconscious of. Friends, the list goes on. Uh, People like John Wesley, um, if you're familiar with him... Uh, His heart was strangely warmed as he encountered this gospel through Romans uh, and through what Luther wrote about Romans. Um, And he went on to, uh, again, um, uh, set up an incredible movement of the gospel. This goes on and on, not just sort of influential people, but again and again, ordinary believers who read this letter, who encounter this gospel... And they are transformed by it. They're transformed by it. One writer says, and this will be up on the screen, uh, there is no saying what may happen when people begin to study the letter to the Romans. So let those who have read thus far be prepared for the consequences of reading further. You have been warned. (laughs) So, friends, with that warning, be prepared for what may come after. You have been warned. Uh, but we're going to spend time in this, these first 17 verses exploring them, trying to um, get a sense of the big picture of what Paul is going to go on to say and see how it uh, can shape us, maybe in a similar way as it shaped Paul himself. Um, if you have an outline in front of you or a Bible, that will really help you as we do work through. You can see there in verse 1, Paul is set apart for this gospel and What's the first thing that he wants to say about this gospel? If you've got your Bible there, what's the first thing he wants to say? It is the gospel of God in verse 1. Uh, in a world of many gospels, okay, we looked at that, right? There's lots of these gospels. Lots of these. This is the gospel of God. This is God's great public announcement. <laughs> this is God's great announcement. And friends, this is of... I think, immeasurable significance. See, right from the start of this letter, Paul wants to frame everything he goes on to say with this reality. 
Uh, he is just, he's just a servant of Christ, he says, but he's also an apostle. He's one sent by Jesus with his authority as his messenger to proclaim this gospel. And what he proclaims is not Paul's gospel. He'll go on in other places to talk about how he owns it, but it doesn't come from him. Uh, it is not something that he's made up. He's not at liberty to tamper with it or tweak it in any way. He can't leave anything out of it or add anything to it because it's not his gospel, it's God's. And as we begin to read this letter together, friends, this ought to shape deeply the way that we approach what we're hearing over the, over the coming months. Uh, once upon a time, I used to um, work with a university Christian group and I'd often um, lead studies, uh, groups of studies with, with the students there. And it wasn't uncommon in groups. Um, there'd be a moment, okay, there'd be a moment in these groups uh, when we were kind of discussing an issue from the, you know, maybe sparked from something in a passage. Uh, there was this moment uh, that I'd sort of look, on, look back on. There'd be uh, a question that was asked. Some brows would get furrowed and in a very pensive and thoughtful way, people's arms would cross and everyone would lean back and thus would follow a really fascinating discussion about a whole range of different things. Uh, but often I get to the end of these sort of discussions and think something didn't quite seem right and it was only afterwards that I realised, of course, of course we spent more time folding our arms and leaning back than we did looking down and reading the Bibles that were open in our laps. We were talking about the gospel of God, but we didn't look to the word of God. But for Paul, this letter is not an opportunity for him to fold his arms and lean back and tell us about his theories of life, ideally with a pipe in his mouth or something, you know? <laughs> you get that sort of image? That would be, in the end, for him to be talking about the gospel of Paul. And that's not what he's interested in. He knows that he has been set apart for the gospel of God. And if this is the gospel of God, friends, if this is spoken to us through his apostle, with his authority, then the only appropriate attitude is not to lean back and judge it, not even, not even firstly to theorise about it, but first and foremost to humbly and eagerly look down and read it and hear it and receive it. So, friends, let's do that, okay? Let's do that as we work through, as we kind of look through this passage. Let's do that together. Um, Paul writes about this great announcement, this gospel that brings joy, this gospel of God that is God's, God's word to his world. He writes about it uh, in verse 2, and the first thing he goes on to say now in verse 2 is that this gospel was promised beforehand in his holy, uh, in, in, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This great gospel, it doesn't come out of nowhere. It wasn't just sort of a voice from the blue that took everyone by surprise. Uh, this great gospel is the climax and the fulfilment of the entire story of the Old Testament. This entire history, the story of God and his people, God and his world. It all pointed forward to this great moment, this great moment of fulfilment. 
where the great plan of God to fix up his broken creation and to save a people for himself, where that great plan was realised and fulfilled. Uh, And this great climax of history, as we read on, this fulfilment of the Old Testament scriptures, is all about, in verse 3, is all about his son. The gospel of God promised in the scriptures about his son, descended from David, the promised eternal king of God's people. But do you you notice this as you read through? It's not just an earthly king, not just a human king promised the promised descendant of David. This son of God took on frail humanity, but in his resurrection from the dead, it says here that he was appointed the son of God in power. It's not, Paul's not saying here that he, there was a time when he wasn't the son of God, and at this point he became the son of God. That's not what Paul's getting at. Uh, he was always the son of God, but now in his death and resurrection... He has achieved his great victory over sin and evil and as we've been looking at over Easter, even over death itself, this incredible victory that this king has achieved. Uh, and in this gospel, this, God's gospel, God's great public announcement to the world, uh, he shouts out that Jesus is now his son in power. He is the risen king over God's kingdom. Or as Paul puts it in verse 4, in this kind of really beautiful summary of this gospel, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Friends, this is helpful to have right at the start of Paul's letter, I think, for a number of reasons. Uh, One of which is to kind of shine light on maybe the ways in which we uh, talk about what the gospel is, the, the ways in which we can... Um, uh, reflect on this message about Jesus. Um, I've said this many times and it's true, um, but I catch myself every now and again, um, and perhaps you you, uh, have heard this as well, that when asked about the gospel, um, perhaps a, a kind of standard answer would be something like, Jesus died for my sins so that I could be forgiven and have a relationship with God. Now that, friends, is wonderfully true, okay? It's wonderfully true, and we're going to go on to think about that. But can you see how God's gospel, it's not less than that, it's actually more than that. It's bigger, it's more cosmic. Um, This great gospel that brings joy, uh, there is an invitation to it, Uh, to enter into it, and we'll get to that in a moment. But first and foremost, fundamentally, it is an announcement about something that has been done. It is an announcement about a great thing that has been achieved, a great thing that is true regardless of whether you receive it or not, this great announcement. Uh, In fulfilment of all the Old Testament, Jesus died and rose again, and in his resurrection he has been publicly appointed shown to the world to be the Son of God in power. He is Lord. And the gospel is this great proclamation of that, of this reality. But did you notice what Paul says there at the end of verse 4? He doesn't just say Jesus Christ is Lord. He does say Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our Lord. So while the events of the gospel are independent from us. They they don't depend on 
us. They, they, this happened. The gospel is this proclamation that this really did happen. But the wonderful reality of the gospel is this announcement sweeps us up in it too so that we can say Jesus Christ, not only Jesus Christ is Lord, but Jesus Christ is our Lord. Uh, that's what Paul goes on to say in verse 5. Flowing out of this gospel about what God has done in Jesus is a call, an invitation to the whole world to enter into this new reality. Uh, he goes on in verse 5 there, uh, through Jesus, through him, we have received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. So, friends, we've got this new reality, this thing that has happened outside of you and me uh, in fulfilment of all of God's plans. There is Jesus, the risen King. Uh, alongside that, flowing out of that, is this call to come under his, into his kingdom, to be a part of this. Uh, and the key here, uh, when Paul starts to talk about coming into this kingdom, coming under God's, uh, God's King Jesus, the key here is the word faith. Uh, through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Through faith in this risen Lord, we have a new, we are brought into this new reality that the gospel proclaims. We have a new allegiance, a new obedience. We have Jesus Christ as our Lord. Okay, uh, we have spent a, a fair bit of time on this first part. Um, it's important to do as we set up uh, the letter, and what we're going to do now is uh, sort of a little, skim a little bit through the next little, little bit and now spend a bit more time at the end just to fill you in on where we're up to. Uh, uh, you see, uh, as Paul goes on, okay, um, that's what had happened to the Roman Christians. They had been swept up into this new reality that the gospel proclaims, that Jesus is Lord. They had been called to belong to Jesus Christ. They were loved by God, we're told in verse 6. Uh, in verse 7, they were loved by God and called to be his holy people. They had heard this call to come under Jesus' lordship through faith. And they had done that. Uh, through God's love, they had put their faith in Jesus. And Paul tells us in verse 8 that their faith, uh, it was so remarkable, incredible what had happened to them, that it was spread over the whole world. And this faith meant that these Romans were intimately connected with Paul. The faith that they had joined them together with Paul in a really rich and intimate way. And that's what he goes on to talk about, this connection. As you read on, he, he longs to be with them. Uh, not just, this is fascinating, isn't it, in verse 12? Uh, he longs to be with them, not just for their sake, but for his own sake, so that they could be mutually encouraged by each other, by each other's faith. Uh, he wants to come to them and be a part of this gospel work and see it bearing fruit. He wants to have a harvest among them. Uh, he knows, friends, that these Romans have been brought into this bigger plan. Um, but that's what he goes on to talk about in verse 14, this bigger plan. It's not just the gospel for the Romans, it's the gospel for everyone who believes. 
Uh, uh, he knows the Romans have come to fit into this bigger plan that God has. Uh, Paul says he's a man under obligation. Let's read verse 14. Uh, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel to you, also to you who are in Rome. Okay, let's just take stock of where we're up to. This gospel is great public announcement of what God has done in Christ. Uh, it swept up these Romans through trusting in Jesus and it connected Paul and the Romans together in such a profound way that he longs to be with them. And here he says he has this deep obligation to them. He's obligated uh, to preach the gospel. And this, uh, this is really incredible, I think, especially when you realise that uh, Paul has never actually met these guys. He hasn't been to the church in Rome before. He didn't start the church in Rome. Uh, he's never actually, he doesn't have any direct sort of personal relationship with them. And yet he can speak in this intimate, longing way about wanting to be with them. Uh, he still, he has this obligation. Now, there's a couple of ways you can be obligated. Uh, if you lend me 100 bucks, that wouldn't be a bad idea. Um, but I'd be obligated, unfortunately, to, to you, right? I'd be obligated to pay it back. Okay, that's sort of one kind of obligation. But there's a different kind, which is uh, if Steve gives me 100 bucks in order to pass on to you, if, I, if someone else, if I'm sort of the middleman <laughs> and I am given 100 bucks with the express purpose of passing it on to you, right? That's still, I'm still under obligation. I'm obligated to do it. Uh, I'm, uh, primarily, I'm actually obligated to Steve in order to do it because he's sort of passed it on to me. And, but I'm also obligated to you. <laughs> in order to pass that on. And I think it's this kind of obligation that Paul has in mind here. God has given him this gospel. Uh, and embedded in that gift is the purpose that it might be preached to the whole world and it might go to the nations, to the uh, Greeks and non-Greeks, wise and foolish, to everyone. And he has, he's obligated to do it. He's, he's been set apart to do it. But then did you notice in verse 15, uh, verse 15, I'm obligated to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. Did you notice what happens here? This is not an obligation that he kind of grudgingly takes on. Verse 15, this obligation means that he is eager, so eager to come to them and preach the gospel to them. And as he goes on, the reason he's so eager comes out in verse 16. This great gospel of God, this announcement that through his resurrection, Jesus is the Lord. It wasn't just an announcement about some abstract thing. It was an announcement that was meant to bring joy. It, had an, it was an announcement that had implications for everyone who heard it. You see, the reason Paul was so keen to be with them so that he might be encouraged, mutually encouraged by their faith and bring the gospel again to them, the reason he was so eager to share it, the reason he's not ashamed of it, was because of the incredible joy-giving implication of this gospel. 
Uh, as this news is proclaimed, do you see in verse 16, he says, the one that we learnt, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because as this gospel is proclaimed, God's power is at work. God's power is, is, is at work uh, to bring salvation to everyone who believes it, to who, who receives it and accepts it, who trusts in it. Because of this gospel, everyone, not only, uh, uh, not only the Jews, but just as much the Gentiles, everyone uh, can receive God's salvation through faith. Okay, friends, uh, there's one more thing that Paul goes on to say, which we need to talk about before we sort of draw some threads together. Uh, it is the gospel of God, the gospel for um, the Romans, but it's also the gospel for the whole world the gospel that Paul is under an obligation to preach and he does it so willingly because he knows it is the wonderful power of God. Uh, and then he goes on at the end in verse 17 and says, uh, and many people think, think of this as kind of really a key verse for the whole letter, a key verse for the whole letter. The reason this gospel is such good news that it brings salvation, the reason Paul's so eager for it is because in this gospel... The righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God is revealed. Um, not everyone, uh, 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 yeah, uh, just as a kind of aside, um, this little phrase, the righteousness of God, uh, there's a fair bit of discussion about what it means what it means, the righteousness of God. And, and people who talk about this sort of stuff generally think of it in two different ways. Either it's the righteousness that belongs to God. Um, so in the gospel, God's own righteousness is shown to the world. Or it's the gospel that, the righteousness that comes from God. I don't know if that, anyway, it, it, you don't need to worry too much about it. But is it the righteousness that belongs to God, his own righteousness, or is it a righteousness that comes from God and is given to people? It's a long, and at the risk of simplifying what is a complex discussion, I've, I've never been able to see why, actually why both can't be on view in this phrase. In this gospel, God is shown to be righteous. Um, he's shown to be just and faithful to his promise to fix up the world through Abraham's family. This gospel is the great fulfilment of all his plans and when it's announced, it shows that he is righteous. But also wonderfully in the gospel, uh, it's, we don't only see God's own righteousness, but a righteousness that comes from him. And that is what is revealed, this righteousness. That is the salvation of verse 16. It is a gift for everyone who believes. It is a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, as he goes on to say. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This righteousness as a gift from God to everyone who believes in him, this right standing with himself, this declaration that before him you are right, this is the righteousness that comes from God in this gospel. 
Well, there's so much here, and again, it'll take the whole letter to unpack. I'm conscious that there's, there's just heaps in this passage, isn't there? Uh, and we, we've, we've had to skim over some things. Um, uh, there's lots of questions at, at this point that are, I think, left hanging in a little way. Uh, why do you need a righteousness that comes from God? Why do you need a righteousness from outside yourself? What is wrong with your own righteousness? Now, that's what Paul's going to take up over the next few chapters. And that's going to be a bit intense for us, friends, just to give you a bit of a warning. The next few um, chapters as we read through, uh, Paul strips away every confidence we have in our own righteousness. Um, it'll be a full-on few weeks. Um, uh, just sort of as an aside at this point, it will be broken up, um, just to give you a heads up. Uh, we'll have a couple of weeks where, we, where we're going to pause on our Roman series because we have uh, a, a kids' club uh, and we're going to invite families along to a celebration day. We'll be talking about that. And then uh, the, the next week after that, we're going to have another missionary family with us and that will shape the service there. But after that, we'll get back to Romans. Uh, but kind of with that bit of an interlude... <laughs> Uh, the next month or so, it will be heavy going. Uh, we have no hope, Paul will say, we have no hope apart from this righteousness of God. That's one thing that's sort of left hanging here. The other thing is, why is it by faith? Why is it by believing that we can sort of receive this righteousness? And that's what he'll go on to say kind of at the end of chapter 3 and into chapter 4 and 5. We'll get to that eventually. And by the time we get to chapters 6 and 8, so uh, he's going to shift gears a little and talk about what it means to live by faith, uh, to live under this righteousness, not just to receive this righteousness by faith, but to live by faith. Okay, that's where we're heading. But friends, today, uh, I just want to pull back a little bit to finish up. Paul has painted in big brushstrokes this gospel, this great announcement to the world that Jesus uh, is Lord, that in his resurrection he has been appointed Son of God in power. Uh, he's painted this gospel in big brushstrokes that means salvation for everyone who believes it, who entrusts themselves to it. And Paul is so captivated by this gospel that he is unashamed of it. He knows that Jesus really did, really did die and rise again from the dead. And that historic reality changes everything for Paul. It changes everything for Paul and friends, it changes everything for us. It means that through this gospel, we can see the world the way it truly is the world the way it truly is jesus really is lord regardless of any other message that you might receive and you will receive jesus really is lord he really is the son of god in power and his this gospel really is god's power to save god's righteousness really is revealed in it. It's interesting, isn't it, that Paul says that he's not ashamed of the gospel. He could have said it if he'd, you know, if he'd been a bit more chirpy. He could have said it in a positive way, right? He could have said, 
I have confidence in the gospel. But he doesn't choose to say that. He, he says this negative thing. He says kind of a double negative. Paul can do that. Uh, he says he's not ashamed. No, that's not a double negative. I'm wrong. <laughs> anyway, forget about the grammar. He's, <laughs> he's not ashamed. He doesn't say I'm confident. He says he's not ashamed. Why? I just think that's quite interesting. And, and perhaps he's signalling that uh, he knows that there are many possible reasons to be ashamed of this gospel. There are many possible reasons we could be ashamed. Perhaps we're ashamed because it's just too big a claim. The claim that all of human history, all of human history, is centred and fulfilled in this one man, Jesus Christ. I mean, is that not a big claim? (laughs) And perhaps it might cause us to be ashamed of it. The claim that salvation, that God's righteousness, a right standing before him, is only available through faith in Jesus Christ. That all people need a righteousness that is not their own. Uh, Perhaps it's not only sort of a little embarrassing, perhaps it's offensive. Uh, It's an offensive word for those who are conscious uh, but unrepentant of their sin because it does give a word of judgment. Uh, But friends, it's just as offensive for moral people, can I say. It's just as offensive for moral people. The gospel tells us that our salvation is totally free and undeserved and for moral people who are proud of our good lives... That message is deeply insulting and confronting. It tells us that we are so needy that the only way we can be saved is for a totally free gift that we don't contribute anything towards. So perhaps it's a, perhaps you're sort of not sure about uh, the bigness of the claim. Perhaps it's offensive. Well, there's, there's, there's other kind of reasons and perhaps there are others that you uh, engage with. I mean, I... I felt this this week, actually, preparing this and looking ahead to the coming weeks, putting together memory verses. I don't know if you've had a chance to look through those memory verses. Um, I was really tempted to skip over a few. Perhaps I was a little ashamed of the gospel. Uh, But Paul is not ashamed of this gospel. Paul knows all of this and he's not ashamed because he knows the gospel is true and not just true It is good. It's not just true, it is good. He knows that it really is wonderful news that brings eternal and deep joy. He knows that to share it with others, for him to share it with others, is just the same as that guy running from the battlefield to shout out this great news to the city. That's that's what's in his mind as he shares this. That's the kind of implication of this gospel that's how wonderful it is paul's unashamed joy in this gospel is just worth us reflecting on especially as we think about perhaps the times when we are tempted to be ashamed of this gospel so we'll just finish with this friends what is it what is it that has gripped paul what what is it that gripped augustine and luther and wesley and not just the great ones Uh, What is it that can grip your heart, that can cause your heart to be strangely warmed by this gospel so that you share in this 
happy confidence in the gospel. The answer, friends, uh, is in, I think, in the word gospel itself. Right at the start, we saw what the word gospel means. A great announcement that brings joy, or you know, a shorter version, good news. It is good news. The more this gospel becomes not just news that we believe in our heads, but good news that we delight in and long for and trust in, the more we will be unashamed of it. Um, friends, it's my hope that as we read through Romans, uh, that will be what uh, God might do that in each of us, actually, as we, as we sort of read through this letter, as we settle in it, uh, that we would get a clearer vision of God, of his great victory in Christ, of his great salvation, uh, that his righteousness that he offers to a rebellious world simply by faith. Um, we need to ask God's help for that, though, friends, and uh, I just invite you to do that with me now. Uh, this is something that God, by his Spirit, uh, has promised to do among us as we gather around his words. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this great gospel. We thank you for this great announcement to the world that in Jesus' death and resurrection you have appointed him your son in power. Thank you that the gospel opens, holds out a promise that Jesus can not only be the Lord but can be our Lord through faith in him. Thank you that it is your power to save all those who trust. We, we are in awe, Father, that you would give us your righteousness, that we would have a right standing before you because of what Jesus has done. Father, particularly now for, for those of us who um, know this gospel, fill us with that kind of happy confidence in it so that it doesn't, it's not a forced thing for us but just is the whole shape and tone of how we live our lives and comes naturally out of us. Please, Father, do that by your spirit as we hear this gospel um, taught to us by Paul. Uh, please take that word and apply it to our hearts and transform us more and more for your glory so that we might share uh, in this joy in the gospel. And we pray that for your sake, in Jesus' name. Amen.